Hello and welcome to LBC Irregulars, a Sherlock Holmes podcast radio episode brought to you by the Longbox Crusade. This is episode five of the radio series. I'm your host, Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist, a.k.a. Death Probe. And I'll be taking you through the vintage radio show appearances of Sherlock Holmes. For the foreseeable future, I plan to focus solely on the Nigel Bruce and Basil Rathbone New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes show that aired from 1939 to 1947, although Tom Conway took over for Basil Rathbone as Holmes in late 1946. But anyways, I may step out to other radio show appearances from our favorite London-based detective from time to time, but for now, we're going to keep it in the, the 1939 to 1947 shows. Now, this is not an index show. We're not going to start at the beginning and go one by one, mainly because the history and availability of these old radio shows is an absolute rat's nest, (laughs) especially finding radio shows of a decent audio quality. Some episodes even have multiple titles depending on how and where they were released. So we're going to hop around in time and listen to randomly selected episodes on this podcast. In this episode, we will be listening to The Amateur Mendicant Society. Season 5, episode 14, aired on January 24th, 1944. And I want to thank the Arthur Conan Doyle Encyclopedia website. They are keeping me straight on all these dates and release times and seasons. And it's a good resource, folks. Once again, that's the Arthur Conan Doyle Encyclopedia website. Now, after we listen, my guests and I will discuss our thoughts on it. And we invite you to be part of the conversation. You can leave us a voicemail with your thoughts at 707-532-5269, 707-532-LBOX, or comment on the show at Longbox Crusade, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, it's all Longbox Crusade, or email us at contact at longboxcrusade.com. Your comments just might get played or read on a future episode. Now it's time for the show. Let's dim the lights travel back in our minds to a London of the past, through the chilled and foggy streets to 221B Baker Street. This episode from the life of Sherlock Holmes will be transmitted to our men and women overseas by shortwave and through the worldwide facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Petri Wine brings you... Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, invite you to listen to Dr. Watson tell about another exciting adventure he shared with that master detective, his old friend Sherlock Holmes. And say, I want to tell you about a little present I've got for you. Uh-huh. A present and it's free. It's a swell recipe calendar printed in full color and it's good for two years, 1945 and 46. But best of all, this calendar not only gives you the dates, it gives you loads of swell recipes and ideas for cooking with Petri wine. Want to know how to make spare ribs that are out of this world? You want to learn a new way to fix liver and onions, a swell way to make soup more delicious than ever. It's a cinch with this calendar handy in your kitchen to tell you how. In fact, this calendar tells you all you ought to know about wine. And remember, it's free. Just write to Petri Wine. P-E-T-R-I, Petri Wine, San Francisco, 26, California. Petri Wine, San Francisco, 26, California. We'll send you your swell recipe calendar immediately. And now for our weekly visit with the genial Dr. Watson. Good evening, Doctor. Good evening, Mr. Foreman. Come in and settle yourself down. Thank you. You're looking particularly comfortable tonight, Doctor. Feet up on the sofa and the puppies asleep on your lap. Yes, my boy. The three of us went for a long walk on the beach this afternoon. Monty and Winnie had a running battle with the seagulls. In consequence, they've been fast asleep ever since we got home. Oh, I hope you're not too tired, Doctor. I'm counting on a new Sherlock Holmes story, you know. No, no, no. I'm all ready for you, Mr. Foreman. In fact, I was going through my notes on the case just before you arrived. Well, last week you told us it concerned a strange society who held their meetings in an underground vault of a furniture warehouse. Yeah, that's right, my boy. Now, down with it. No, 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 no. The story really began one stormy November night in 1887. I was married at the time and living away from Baker Street. On this night in question, my wife had already gone to bed and I was nodding in front of the fire over one of Clark Russell's fine sea stories. 
I'd had a very tiring day, I remember. It was about the hour that a man gives his first yawn and glances at the clock. When suddenly, my front doorbell jangled discordantly. Oh, our servant Edna had gone up to bed, so I crossed to the window and opened it. It was uh, very dark, but I could just see the outline of a figure standing on my doorstep. It looked like a woman. Suddenly, a cultivated voice called up to me. Is the doctor in? Uh, yes, madam. Uh, I'm the doctor. Then please come at once. It's a matter of life and death. I have a carriage waiting. Oh, all right, all right. I'll, I'll be down immediately. I closed the window, scribbled a note to my wife, grabbed my coat and hat and my bag, and a few minutes later I stepped out of the front door and closed it behind me. Carriage was standing at the curb, but I couldn't see any trace of the lady who called me. The only person in sight was an old and repulsive-looking figure woman, dressed in rags and tatters. After a moment of bewilderment, I spoke. Uh, my, my good woman, did you see a lady leave here a moment ago? No, doctor, she didn't leave. She's still waiting for you. Oh, oh forgive me, madam, but, uh, <laughs> clothes are yours. I, I thought you were a beggar woman. There isn't any time to discuss that now. Please get in this carriage. Uh-huh. But, uh, where, where's the driver? I'm going to drive. Please get in. Oh, well, 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 it's only business. Uh... Are you sure that you can handle those horses, madam? Of course I can. Well, you tell me the way you're, you're driving, ma'am. Please don't ask me any more questions, doctor. You're trying to ask me nothing. Thank heavens we've finally reached our destination. Must have driven halfway across London. Oh, hello, hello. Must be somewhere down near the river. No dwelling places here. Nothing but enormous warehouses. Uh, why have we stopped here, madam? Well, this is where we're going. Please follow me down these steps. I wish you'd tell me where you're taking me. We have a, a club here in the basement. See for yourself in a moment. Oh, a very solid looking door. How do you propose to get past it? I'll show you. Good Lord, it must be a very secret club of yours, madam. It is, Doctor. Who knocks? Number seven. Give the password. To the lanterns. Who may enter? Follow me, Doctor. Madam, I do wish you'd tell me where you're taking me. This looks like the entrance to an opium den or a thieves' kitchen. Don't worry, Doctor. You're in no danger. There. Does that look like a thieves' kitchen? Great Scott, I don't believe my eyes. A luxuriously furnished room. What a strange collection of people. Some look like beggars. Others in full evening dress. Amazing. Uh, number seven. Who is this man? He's a doctor. I went to fetch him. I thought I said there would be no strangers in here. Now look here, my good man. I've been extremely patient, but my temper's beginning to wear a little thin. Either let me see your patient at once or show me out. My time's valuable and I don't propose to waste it. I'm sorry, doctor. Where is Julian? He's in the back room. And if you know what's good for you, doctor, whatever you call yourself, you'll forget everything you see in here. Stop threatening me, sir. I'm not the least interested in your blasted club. Just take me to the patient. Ah, this is the man we wanted to examine, Doctor. Huh? What happened? He fell down the stairs leading into the club room. Well, why'd you move him? We wanted him to be comfortable. It's the worst thing in the world you could have done. Never, never move a person with an injured skull. Is he, is he going to be all right, Doctor? No, madam, I'm afraid he isn't. His neck's broken. He's dead. Huh? Julian, dead. You sure of that, Doctor? Of course I'm sure of it, my good man. I'm afraid you need an undertaker, not a doctor. We must tell the others. All right, quiet, everybody. Quiet. Quiet. Julian is dead. Julian? Julian dead? Oh, this is terrible. 
Who is this man? He's a doctor. I'd better get him out of here at once. We don't want any strangers nosing about. That's Why, right. No. Shouldn't have brought him here anyway. Now, just a minute, just a minute. I assure you, ladies and gentlemen, I haven't the slightest desire to stay here one moment longer. If you direct me to the door again, madam, I'll try to find a cab myself in this godforsaken district and go home. Show him out and give him his money. Follow me, please. I'm delighted to. Do you mind if I don't drive you home, Doctor? Well, uh, no, I should prefer it. My nerves aren't uh, in the best of shape. You mustn't be angry with me, Doctor, please. Leaving again, number seven. No, but this gentleman is. Will you see if you can find a cab for him? Right. To whom shall I send in my bill, madam? Oh, here's a five-pound note. That should cover your time and trouble, shouldn't it? No, 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 no. It's, it's far too much, madam. No, Doctor. It's late at night and it hasn't been a very pleasant case for you. Please take it. Oh, it's very kind of you. Very generous indeed. But by the way, you... Uh, how did you happen to, to come to me in the first place? Well, I was driving about looking for a doctor, and a policeman directed me to your house. Oh, I see. I have found a cab for you. Well, thank you, my man. Thank you. Oh, doctor, may I come round in the morning for a death certificate? Of course, because you remember my address? Yes, but I don't know your name. Uh, Watson. Uh, Dr. Watson. Dr. Watson? Not, not the Dr. Watson who's associated with Sherlock Holmes. Madam, that is that you know of me. Good night, doctor. And please forget about everything you've seen. Well, upon my soul, what an amazing business. Holmes will be interested to hear about this. And that's the way it was, Holmes. One of the most curious adventures I ever had without you. Very interesting, Watson. You say this underground cellar was luxuriously mm. furnished. Yes, and the people there were an amazing mixture. Some were in rags and some in evening dress. Huh, like the nursery rhyme, eh? Some in rags and some in tags and some in both gowns. Oh, exactly. In the feeling that I was taking part in a story out of the Arabian Nights. I must say, though, I was pretty angry at the time. However, after a good night's rest, I, I feel quite different to this morning. I thought I'd just drop round and tell you all about it. I'm glad you did, my dear fellow. It would be interesting to see if any repercussions of your strange adventure reach us. Oh, I doubt it. The woman seemed frightened to death when I mentioned your name. We shall see. Meanwhile, I'm expecting a client. You're not too busy. Perhaps you can stay. No, I'd like to very much. Uh, who is it? You know? Telegram will tell you much more than I can. Arrived an hour ago. Let's have a look. Be at your lodgings this morning to discuss our problem. Signed, AMS. Pretty high-handed message. Be at your lodgings. Oh, please. <laughs> what do you suppose AMS stands for? I was just toying with that problem when you arrived. Could it be the uh, American Medical School? No, no, there's no such body. It's the American Medical Association. Oh, yes, 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 yes. The curious yes, yes. Uh, tone of the message inclines me to believe that the A stands for amateur. Very possibly. Amateur Masker Society. Or uh, the amateur... Murderers? <laughs> that would be a nice thought, wouldn't it? Mm. Ah. Is their representative now, no doubt, to save us further guesswork? Holmes, it looks like the same carriage as I drove in last night. The girl standing on your doorstep dressed in hyper fashion. Mrs. Hudson's letting her in. Splendid. It seems that we have not heard the end of your adventure. Go and meet the lady at the top of the stairs, will you? Watch up and save Mrs. Hudson's legs. All right, you are, Holmes. Thank you, Mrs. Hudson. Thank you. All right, sir. Come in, madam. Want to come in? Thank you, Dr. Watson. Mr. Sherlock Holmes. At your service, madam. Won't you, um, won't you sit down? I'm Lady Dorothy Brownlee. It's your voice. You're the lady who fetched me last night, uh, dressed up as, as a beggar woman. Yes, I am, Dr. Watson. Forgive me for being so mysterious at the time. Doubtless you have come to consult me regarding last night's unfortunate accident at the Amateur Mendicant Society. How did you know what the initials stood for, Mr. Holmes? Well, after hearing Dr. Watson's story of last night's happenings, the uh, connotation seemed obvious. Am I right? Perfectly. Last night, when Dr. Watson told us Julian was dead, we thought it was an accident. And now you think it is uh, murder, eh? Lady Bromley, if you expect my help, there must be no more mystery. Just what is this amateur mendicant society? Well, I'm afraid it'll be a little hard for you to understand our motives. We're a group of people, rather wealthy people, I suppose, who find pleasure in deliberately leading a steamy life disguised as beggars. We use the basement that you were in last night, Doctor, as our headquarters to keep our beggars 
there and change out of them before we go home. Oh, what a fantastic idea. What a futile, worthless way of spending your leisure time, Lady Barnett. I suppose it must seem so, Mr. Holmes. But we're curious to learn how the other half lives. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's a certain thrill in rubbing shoulders with the police. At least we do some good. Indeed. I should be interested to learn how. Well, the money we make at beggars we give to charity. Oh, do you really? And you feel that this gesture on your part absolves you from any responsibility to the real beggars whose livelihood you are impairing? I hadn't thought of it just like that. No. Then... I suppose you won't want to help us. Oh, that's quite another matter, madam. As a professional detective, I cannot afford to be a moralist. Yes, I will investigate this case for you, though I warn you my fee will be an extremely high one. Money isn't important, Mr. Holmes. As long as we can solve Julian's debt without bringing the police into the case. Lady Brownlee, who is the dead man? The man you refer to as Julian? Julian Trapper, the poet. Oh, he was yes. the one who started our society. Mm -hmm, yes, I think I've read some of his work. Decadent. Distinctly decadent. Well, what makes you think that he was murdered, Lady Brownlee? Well, after you left last night, Dr. Watson, there was a terrible scene. Do you remember Sidney Holt? Oh, is he the big fellow who was so unpleasant to him? Yes, that's the one. Oh, do I remember him? <laughs> he said that he saw Lord Cecil deliberately trip Julian as he came to the head of the staircase. Oh, Lord Cecil being, uh... Lord Cecil Dillenforth, son of the Earl of Lucian. Oh, yes. There was a bitter argument. Cecil accused Sidney of doing the same thing. Then they had a dreadful fight. It ended up with Cecil threatening to go to the police. So that's when we decided to send a telegram to you, Mr. Holmes. Oh, yes, yes, I see. So the proof of murder depends on such flimsy evidence as to whether the dead man fell or, well, should we say, uh, was pushed? <laughs> well, it seems like. Mr. Holmes, even though you don't approve, please help us, won't you? Yes, Lady Brownlee, I will. Will you come back with me now to our headquarters? I shall join you in the hour. In the meantime, my old friend Dr. Watson can go with you. Mr. Holmes! What can I do without you? You know my methods, old chap. Act accordingly. Oh, very well, Mr. Holmes. But you promise you'll be there. I promise you that I will be there, madam. Thank you so much, Mr. Holmes. We'll be expecting you. Come on, boss. Well, I'll, I'll just get my hat and coat. Holmes, what are you up to? Go with her and ask no more questions. I shall join you within the hour. Holmes, there's a glint in your eye. I don't think you, you believe the story. Of course I don't, Watson. Well, then what? Then go with her, old fellow, and keep your wits about you. The game's afoot. The story of the Amateur Mendicant Society will continue in just a few seconds. Time I'd like to use to remind you that you're really missing something until you try having wine with your dinner. And I mean a Petri wine. Let's say a Petri California Burgundy or a Petri California Sauterne. Both wines are just made to make good food taste better. If you like a red wine, try Petri Burgundy. Try it with hamburger, with stew, with any meat or meat dish. And if you like a delicious white wine, a wine that'll make chicken taste better than ever... Try a well-chilled Petri Sauterne. With food, nothing can take the place of a good Petri wine. And now back to tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure. The Amateur Mendicant Society, a group of wealthy eccentrics who pose as beggars, have come to Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson with a problem. One of their members has apparently been murdered, and the famous pair have been asked to investigate the killing. As we rejoin our story, Dr. Watson, still awaiting the arrival of the great detective, is cross-questioning three of the members at the headquarters of this unusual... But I don't find your story very convincing. Oh, don't you now? Well, then suppose you stop asking questions until Sherlock Holmes gets here. He's the man we've engaged to settle this business, not you. We're paying for his services. Not those of his assistant. Uh, Mr. Holmes asked me to conduct this preliminary investigation, my good man. I'm perfectly familiar with his methods. So keep a civil tongue in your head if you want us to continue with this case. Well, I'm not answering any more questions till he gets here. Stop, Buffalo. Uh, Lord Cecil, you say that you saw Holt deliberately trip the dead man as he came down the stairs last night. Yes, I did. Well, uh, where were you standing, sir? At the head of the staircase. Holt was beside me, and as Julian came by, he deliberately... Excuse me, please, excuse me, number 11, excuse uh, me. What is it? There is a strange man just come in. He is dressed as you when you work, but I do not remember to have seen him here before. He speaks very rough. Mm. Did he give the correct signal? Yes, and the password. He must be a new member. I suppose we better see him. Bring him in. Oh, bad time for him to come here, Count. Come oh, this way, please. Stop it. Oh, now it's crazy, Yeah, yeah. Well, now it's crazy. Certainly do yourselves proud, don't you? 
Who are you, and how did you get in here? I'll give you a signal in the passport, just like Julian told me to. Are you a friend of Julian? Of course I am. He's coming to meet him here to die. Who are you, really? Are we all friends here? Yes, you can talk freely. Then permit me to introduce myself. I am Don Luis Jose Fernando de las Torres at your service. Why? Why do you want to join us? When Julian tell me about it, uh, well, it uh, tickled my, how you say, uh, my funny bone. <laughs> it is a so charming idea to see up those of mendicancy. Huh. I suppose he's all right. Of course I'm all right. Now, where is Julian, please? He will uh, vouch for me. He's in the other room. He had an accident. An accident? Not a bad one, I hope. A very bad one. Dr. Watson, you better take him in there and break the news to him. Uh, well, well uh, follow me, sir. This is terrible. Please tell me what happened, Doctor. I'm afraid you must prepare yourself for a shock, sir. Your friend is dead. His neck was broken last night in some brawl. Yes, except that I do believe it was an accident, Watson. Holmes! What, what? But not quietly enough, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Come on, come back to the others and let all take a look at you. Come on, get moving, both of you. This isn't a pop gun in my hands. Sorry, Holmes, I gave the whole thing away. That's all right, old chap. Oh, Cecil, Dorothy, come here. I want you to take a look at the great Sherlock Holmes. Walked into our trap just like any stupid policeman. Now, I had to dress up to do it, though, Mr. Holmes. We were waiting for you here anyway, you know. Oh, I was well aware of that, Mr. Holt. You see, I knew I was walking into a trap. How did you know that, Mr. Holmes? Lady Brownlee, the story you brought to us today was so obviously a false one. Just as there is no amateur mendicant society. Who are they, Holmes? Go ahead, Mr. Holmes. Tell him. Let's see how much you really do know. Yes, go ahead. Why should I tell you what you already know? Go on, talk, if you know what's good for you. Oh, you're so persuasive, aren't you, Mr. Holt? Very well. Undoubtedly, Julian Trevor's death last night was an accident. You fetched the doctor, Lady Brownlee, a very natural move, and later discovered that the doctor in question was the old friend of Sherlock Holmes. Mm. You were all afraid that I would become interested in your unusual society, and so you invented that very thin story about the accident being a murder. You wanted to lure me here so that I could be disposed of, and you could all continue your nefarious works without hindrance. Well, now aren't we clever? What is our nefarious work, may I ask? Your password gave me a clue to the lanterns by the French revolutionists. They strung the aristocrats up on the lampposts. Then again, the combination of Various costumes and a luxurious establishment in a low-class area posed another question. What political belief provides a common meeting ground for misguided aristocrats and dangerous commoners? And how did you answer that question? Oh, very simple, my dear sir. One word. Nihilism. It's doctrine of assassination and overthrow of government to find every chance of being put into practice by all of you at the forthcoming jubilee celebrations to be held here in London. And also would account for... Um, for your beggar's clothes, a beggar would have greater freedom of movement in a crowd than an ordinary person. You're a clever man, Mr. Holmes. Too bad you'll have to die. I'll get the rope. What are you going to do with him? Do? Give him a first-hand taste of nihilism, of course. He can't live. They know too much. You can't possibly do this, you know. The police will track us here. By the time the police get here, you and your friend Holmes will be blown to kingdom come. Get the rope, Sidney. All right. Hands together, Mr. Holmes. That's it. Ah! Oh, my God. Stand at the wrist of mine, will you? It's... Confounded this all. Now, isn't that a shame now? Is this any better? Ooh. Tie up the doctor, Cecil, while I bind Holmes' legs. With pleasure. I can't go through with this. Listen, Dorothy, you can't go through with it. I just can't stand by and see two innocent men murdered. Don't be a fool, Dorothy. We can't let them live. They know too much. I don't care. If you go on with this, I'm going out for the police. Are you fool. <coughs> Tie her up as well, Cecil. Leave me alone. Sit down there beside him. Go on. <laughs> You're a devil, Cecil. Oh, shut up. Now, Mr. Holmes, I'm going to fetch a little invention. A little invention I'm sure you'll be interested in. Mr. Holmes, it's a pity you and your friend didn't learn to mind your own business. I'm afraid it's too late to teach an old dog new tricks. It's too late now, at any rate. Quite comfortable, Dr. Watson? Don't you speak to me, sir. You're a filthy traitor to your country. Oh, rubbish. Here we are. Example of Mikhail Petrov's mechanical genius. Bomb will blow the entire building sky high. And the three of you with it. Now, I wind the time clock so, and we'll set the fuse to go off in in five minutes. It'll give us plenty of time to get away. So, come on, Sidney, let's get out of here. Right. <laughs> Charming picture. Three of you bound hand and foot, sitting beside each other on the sofa. <laughs> well, ta-da, Dorothy. Think of our cause during the five minutes. <laughs> As for you, Mister Holmes, and your friend, put reddened to bad rubbish. <laughs> Well, Holmes, 
This looks like the end. Wait, so what, Jack? I blame myself. I hadn't been so infernally noisy when I recognized you. We wouldn't be in this mess. Wasn't your fault, old fellow. I think they suspected me anyway. Well, I must say, it seemed to me that you told them a great deal more than was necessary about your suspicions. Surely you could pretend it ignorant. Oh, I suppose I could have done. I can't die yet. I'm not ready to Nothing die. Nothing to courage. <laughs> and by the way, was I right in assuming that your associates are nihilists? Of course they are. They're planning to assassinate the Prime Minister during the Jubilee celebration. The Prime Minister, great heavens, Holmes, we've got to get free. Assuming some miracle happened, we did get free and your former associates were arraigned in court. Would you testify against them? Oh, of course I would. But what chance is there of that? Father's you that much, Lady Barney. I'll stop it for you. Holmes, your hands are free. Of course they are, my dear fellow. Bandaged wrist I mentioned just now concealed a razor-edged blade. I cut through the ropes almost before our friends had left the room. Then why did you keep us in the suspense, Mr. Holmes? I wanted to be quite sure that you'd testify in the forthcoming trial, madam. There we are. That renders the bar harmless. Ah! And that means that the police have sprung the trap that I set to your associates, Lady Barney. It's lucky for you that you uh, had a change of heart and prevented you from leaving us. Oh, Mr. Holmes, how could I ever thank you? Holmes, you had the place surrounded with police when you came in here. Of course I did, my dear fellow. Yeah, you can do your ropes. No wonder you were so calm. <laughs> no wonder you told them so much. You wanted them to show their hands. Precisely, old fellow. And they obliged me most satisfactorily. They attempted a triple murder. They are self-confessed anarchists. And with the evidence of Lady Bradley, I'm sure that we can put them where they all belong. Considering it's uh, barely noon, I think you'll agree, Watson. That is a very comprehensive morning's work. Doctor, tell the truth. Were you scared? Wait for that time bomb to go off. Scared, my boy? I was so scared that to this day I can't stand being in the same room with a, a loud ticking clock. He picked the clock. He used to speak to me. Seems to say, tick-tock, this is the end. Tick-tock, this is the end. The clock ever speak to you like that? Well, yes, Doctor. How did you know? What did the clock say to you? Tick-tock. Petri took time to bring you good wine. Petri took time to bring you good oh, wine. Precious me, Mr. <laughs> <laughs> you, you listen to your clock and I'll listen to mine. Gosh, Doctor, can I help it if I like to hear about Petri wine? After all, that Petri family really knows how to make good wine. And it's no wonder. They've been making wine ever since they started the Petri business generations ago, way back in the 1800s. And because the making of Petri wine is a family affair, well, they've been able to hand on down from father to son, from father to son, the skill and experience of each preceding generation. So naturally, when it comes to turning luscious, sun-ripened grapes into fragrant, delicious wine, well, you just can't beat the Petri family. Because Petri took time to bring you good wine. And say, don't forget to take time to send for your Petri recipe calendar. It's free. Just write to Petri Wine, P-E-T-R-I, Petri Wine, San Francisco 26, California. San Francisco 26, California. This offer is intended to apply only in those states and other localities where its acceptance is permissible by law and regulation. And now, Dr. Watson, what adventure are you planning to tell us next week? Well, next week, Mr. Foreman, I'm going to tell you a story of old Vienna. The Vienna of sparkling lights, beautiful women, and lilting music. And of an extraordinary murder that takes place to the accompaniment of a Mozart sonata. Boy, that sounds like a thriller. I'll see you for sure next week. Oh, uh, oh just a minute. Before I go, Mr. Foreman, I want to urge every registered nurse listening in to get all the facts about the Army Nurse Corps. The army needs you, nurses, needs you desperately. They'll make you an officer at once and give you every chance to further your post-war careers. So if you're a registered nurse under 45, call at your local Red Cross chapter and get all the details. Or wire collect for the Surgeon General, U.S. Army, Washington, D.C. And if you can't qualify for the nurses' corps, see if you can't get into essential civilian nursing so that you can release a nurse who does qualify. But do something about it first thing tomorrow. Won't you? Tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure is written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and is based on an incident in the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle story, The Five Orange Pips. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures, where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. 
The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California, invites you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. Meanwhile, don't forget to take advantage of our offer of a free recipe calendar. Oh, the Petri family took the time to bring you such good wine. So when you eat and when you cook, remember Petri wine. To make good food taste better, remember... Pet, Pet, Petri. This is Bill Foreman saying goodnight for the Petrie family. Sherlock Holmes comes to you from our Hollywood studios. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed that episode. And now it's time for our highs, lows, discussions, all that stuff. Let me introduce who I've got with me here at 221B this evening. Of course, I have my brother. It is Jason the Weasel Skull Albrecht. Welcome back to 221B. Oh, it's great to be here. Ready to talk about some homes. And joining me for the first time in the radio studio is the host of LBC Irregulars, the Jeremy Brett series. It is Captivating Kathy Bright, the MVP. Welcome to 221B Radio. Hello, hello. Okay, we have just listened to the Amateur Mendicant Society. So it's time to get into some highs and some lows and some what those and some discussions and all that. And I think I'll start with Jason. Well, first off, as I was listening to the story, good story, really engaging. But when Watson is recounting his story to Holmes and Holmes has that invitation, it's like, oh, it's AMS. What could it stand for? American Medical Society? No, that's American Medical Association. And they're going back and forth. He says, ah, but when you told me your story, it solved the puzzle. It's the Amateur Mendicant Society. And I was like, oh, oh what's that? <laughs> 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 doesn't help me. So I had to like Google, Google, what is mendicant? Oh, <laughs> so that's a way. So I'm not really a low. Maybe it's a low for our generation that I didn't know. What <laughs> well, I'm going to take it as a high because the one thing I learned about Holmes, I always lo- learn a new word when I read the story or I watch an episode because I Googled it too. At first I was like, what did he say? And I'm sitting there listening really close. And I'm trying to Google in how I think it's spelled. I can't even find it because I'm like, I don't know what this word is. (laughs) Well, this word has served me well for many years. When I was in high school. Show off. I got this episode as a radio show on cassette from my local library and listened to it. And of course, I didn't know what mendicant meant, but I learned the word back in high school. And I have used it to great effect (laughs) throughout the rest of my life. So it's a great one to drop whenever you're like a group of people. And there's like another group of people kind of just being bothersome, acting out, you know, you can go, you just go go. mendicants. Because the people (laughs) in your group are going to be like, yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) they don't know what it means. But yeah, I love dropping the word mendicants for people that are bothered. I'm so jealous of you right now, because I think that's more important than anything I learned in high school. Like, I wish (laughs) I would have got that thing at the library. (laughs) Yeah, it is an awesome word. For those of you listening who don't know what mendicants are, maybe you didn't pick it up in the episode you just listened to. It's just a fancy word for like basically beggar people, people of the streets type of deal. I'll use it in a sentence. Alabama football fans are all mendicants. (laughs) (laughs) Well done, sir. Bravo, bravo, bravo. There we go. All right. So, Kathy, it's your turn. Something you like, something you didn't like. I have more of a question. Do you think Clark Kent may have gotten this calendar since it was so swell? The oh, did they say were swell? Very swell oh. about 500 times. <laughs> I, I missed it. Like it didn't register with me. Yes, appa- missed- apparently they have a swell recipe for liver and onions. <laughs> I heard yeah, that. I, I would have like- just skipped that month. <laughs> I did. I was thinking about it. I was like, Jared would probably want the spare ribs. Yes. Liver and onions? No. Mm-mm. Correct. <laughs> you know me very well. And it says swell way to make soup. Mm. Mm, that peachy wine, San Francisco, California. I like the way they said. Delicious. You get this free calendar. It's a two-year calendar. It's got recipes on it, but only where allowed, you know, whatever territories, whatever. Like, what territories are like, you will not have a recipe calendar? No, I think they meant the wine because there's a lot of states that you cannot ship wine to. Jeff Gordon had a wine thing for a moment, and I was going to buy it because it was Jeff Gordon. Well, you can't ship alcohol to the state of Alabama. Shocker, I know. 
And Jeff Gordon wine would get here really fast, I would imagine. I assume so. So we all liked the calendar ad, I guess. Yes. <laughs> those little bits at the beginning of the end, of the, like those are so charming. The Petrie wine guy. Can't get enough of that guy. Petrie took time to bring you good wine. <laughs> Why, TikTok. TikTok. TikTok, Dr. Watson. <laughs> Jason, back to you. I really appreciated the historical context of this. I liked at the end when they were putting out a call, when Watson puts out the call for the blood drive. And, and the I nurses, mean, that, the nursing corps. Mm-hmm, for the nurse. Yeah, the nursing corps. So that because they needed, they needed nurses and they needed blood at that time. It just really struck me. It's like listening to a little time capsule. So even more than the story, I really appreciated that element of it. We do seem to always end up talking about <laughs> Patriotwine and this World War II era right. time capsule. But that is definitely part of the charm. I mean, you have to look back at that and just respect a society that made so much sacrifice. I mean, they were like, hey, if you're a nurse under 45, please sign up. We'll make you an officer. We'll take care of you with a job after the war. If you don't qualify, if you're over 45, take the job for somebody who does qualify so you can free them up. Like, Sacrifice, man. Yeah, that's all off to that generation. So let's talk about the actual story. <laughs> well, I, okay, if we're going to the actual story, I'm going to throw this out here because I was like, I don't remember this story at all. Not that it was a bad story. I thought it was entertaining. It was good. It made for good audio drama. But then they said this was based off the story of the five orange pips, and I was like, what? <laughs> I had the same issue, Jason, and that caused me to do some research did you research that i don't want to steal it from me if you did i didn't i just i mean i've seen the five orange pips i've read the five orange pips and the only thing i could think that well somebody died i mean there's (laughs) there's that and holmes and watson were in it those were kind of the only two things i could put together well okay so for the longest time because i've seen the book on the shelves amateur mendicant society i thought it was a conan doyle story What I come to find out is it's mentioned in the five orange pips. Like Watson talks about these stories that he hasn't published. And one of them is called the amateur mendicant society. That's all you ever get. The title as an unpublished story. So somebody went and developed that. And and so there's actually a couple by a couple different authors called the amateur mendicant society. I imagine tell two different tales because they're just using the title. So I'm glad you brought that up because it freaked me out. I was like, when I first saw the title, I thought, oh, that's a Doyle story. I know it is. I wonder no if those authors fact. had to look up what mendicant meant. <laughs> <laughs> I know it is. But then I was like, no, it's not. It's just mentioned in a Doyle story. So I'm glad you brought that up because I definitely wanted to talk about that. So back to the story itself. Kathy, hi, low. This necessarily isn't story other than just, I just love Sherlock Holmes. I love when he says, as a professional detective, I cannot afford to be a moralist. And that is just so perfectly Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> and he he straight up told her he was going to charge her extra. <laughs> <laughs> I like that too, yeah. He doesn't care about anything but getting the answers and getting the job done to figure out what happened. I think we got to talk about, while we're talking about Holmes, the Rathbones, Performance with his street beggar voice, which became his Spanish royalty voice. (laughs) Which I I wonder, I don't know, but behind the scenes, like I knew both of those voices were him. Like I could tell it was him, but like, are we supposed to be able to wink, wink, you know, we're in on it, tell that it was him doing voices. And I know he likes to do voices and, and stuff like that. I've seen Rathbone do other stuff where he enjoys doing that, but I thought that was interesting. And then I, I love the way Watson just, Pop that balloon within seconds. <laughs> See, I was wondering, kind of to your point, if like Holmes knew Watson was going to pop that bubble. Yeah, because it didn't seem like it mattered. Right. Because it seemed like it was all a big scam to get them to tie him up. He'd already planned for his escape. He had the cops outside and everything. The whole thing was to get them basically to confess what they were going to do and gather evidence so they would be convicted at their trial. So my question was, did he just assume Watson was going to flub this? <laughs> or is <laughs> that just 
Yeah, I think it was just to get him in the door, right? Mm, yeah. I think that was it. Yeah, pretty much. And I did like that aspect of the story that it was basically this group of bad guys that was like, oh, crap, we screwed up and brought the wrong doctor here. But <laughs> I guess that ended up being part of their plan to because they baited Holmes to come to get rid of him. Basically, they wanted to get rid of Holmes so they could, I guess, not be caught. Yeah, I think that's what the whole second part was yeah. about. Yeah, they, I, I don't think they were after interested in Holmes until they realized, oh, crap, Watson's going to go back and tell Holmes. So now Holmes knows. So oh, we've got to get rid of Holmes. Yeah, I thought about that, too. I was like, how realistic is that? Like, are you going to put a stick in that hornet's nest of Sherlock Holmes? But then I thought, to Kathy's point, it's like, crap, I know Watson's going to go say something. <laughs> so, like. He's coming, right? <laughs> Eventually he's coming. We got to get ahead of this. So I could kind of see why they did what they did. Because I'm assuming she didn't know that that was the Watson when she went and got him, right? Well, That's I what thought, I understood it I to I thought be. at first too, but then they came clean and said they knew it wasn't a murder to begin with, that they set that whole thing up just to eliminate Sherlock Holmes. So I'm like, well, well if they knew it wasn't a murder. No, I think what, I think what happened was the guy actually did fall. Yeah, he died, but they knew it was an accident. Everybody knew it was an accident. Right. But what they needed was to have her go back and try to entice Holmes by saying, now we think it's a murder, so he'll come and investigate, and then they were going to ambush him there and take him out. So they legitimately needed a doctor for the accident? Yes. And then they they, twisted it into a murder. Which, to me, is kind of a low, because I'm like, how do you not know the man's dead? (laughs) Like... (laughs) Maybe he died. He did say there was like a cab ride all across London, which made me ask the question: How far did you go to get this doctor? (laughs) All all the doctors in London. (laughs) They end up with Watson. And did he not have like a sign outside of his home slash business that said "Dr. John Watson, MD"? (laughs) You know, like we'll keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's true because he did say he had been staying away from. 221B. So he was at home mm-hmm. and that's not his practice either. So, but how did they know that a doctor lived there? Yeah, that's kind of the weak point of the story for me. Just the cards that had to fall to get Watson in particular into that location. That was a little bit too much Deus Ex Machina for me. But I thought, like, his wife is really patient. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> he was gone. Street woman outside. John, John, I need you now. I'll be right down. <laughs> it does make me really want to see this acted out, like in person. Like I bet the location and the costumes, I bet would be pretty cool yeah. to see. I would like to see this live action. Yeah, it was definitely uh, had some weird quirks. <laughs> Go way out of your way to get Watson uh, involved by accident. <laughs> I don't know. I just want to see his dog fight those seagulls, to be honest with you. that's. <laughs> I wrote their names down, Muffy and Winnie. <laughs> oh, okay. Muffy and Winnie fought the seagulls. <laughs> but yeah, the only other kind of contrivance I thought was like the female character kind of turned on her compatriots. Like, I didn't know what they were doing. Like, how long have you been in this club? <laughs> they're, they're clearly here practicing this whole infiltration for i guess what they're going to do is an assassination or a, at least a bombing yeah they're going to yeah, kill I think the prime was. minister they yeah said. yeah take and like so you were in on this plan the whole time and then <laughs> at the buzzer you were like gasp i didn't know anyone was going to get hurt <laughs> all right i had questions about that as well <laughs> i just feel like it was the 40s and they didn't want to like have the female lead go to jail or <laughs> like that like i don't know it was like, I was like, uh, I mean, she did turn states, though. Maybe she got some protection for turning that state's evidence. <laughs> and she turned she turned quick, buddy, too. Yeah, it was like two, two seconds. <laughs> oh, yes, that's exactly what they were doing. Yeah, Holmes straight up messing with them. Like, well, well I guess we're all going to die. <laughs> Anything you want to get off your chest? Hmm? Hmm? <laughs> Watson's like, I don't want to go. <laughs> she was freaking out, too. She's like, oh, she was screaming everything. Man. <laughs> Yeah, anyways, any final thoughts, Jason, on this one? I thought this was a good, solid story as far as being a radio drama is concerned. Like I said, we're a bit off the source material, but 
still entertaining. I listened to it twice and was amused twice. So good job. And Kathy, I saved you for last because I wanted your final thoughts. And this is, if I'm not mistaken, your first real foray into the radio show. Now you may have listened to some of the podcasts that have already come out, but it's sort of like your first time listening to talk about it and just kind of get your thoughts on how you feel about it. You are correct. I haven't listened to radio shows before and I have gone back and listened to the podcast about the radio shows, but I really enjoyed it. I think it was easier for me to pay a little more attention knowing that I was going to be talking about it. So it was easier for me to follow than just listening to the podcast, but I really enjoyed it. It's a little harder when you don't get to see Holmes figure things out. Like this was just the telling of the story. Oh, well, this is what happened because I had already figured it out. Like we didn't get the unveiling of how he figured everything out. It was just like, oh yeah, he knew and showed up. So, but no, I really enjoyed it. It was very interesting. I'm glad that seems to be sort of unanimous, you know, whether or not the episode itself is really solid. Like I remember we had Alan Porter on here and I was shocked to find out Alan hadn't dabbled into these radio shows either, but he didn't like the episode as much the content of it, but he liked the experience of it. I think there's just a charm to it. Just this old timey charm where it just kind of takes you back. It takes you off Twitter and off Facebook. And it's just kind of you and people entertaining you in your ears as happened in the forties. I don't know. I just well, cause never point, tire of it. At one point, this was what they had for entertainment. There was no TV shows. There was mm-hmm. no, you know, this yeah. is what they had. And they sat in front of the radio and listened mm-hmm. to this on a Friday night. You either went to the cinema, maybe caught a serial like Flash like Gordon, Batman, or Batman, <laughs> or you listen to the radio. Oh, that is something I thought. Didn't that sound like kind of like Dr. Daka is the door guard there? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, is that Dr. Daka? Yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That is a good point. Okay. Let's go ahead and score this episode on the one to five pipe scale that we tend to use here at LBC Irregulars. Five means you loved it. It solved your mystery. Aha. Four means you thought it was excellent. Three means you thought it was just good. Two means it was okay. And one, I did not like it. It threw me off Reichenbach Falls. Ah. So let's start with Jason. One to five. I'm going to give it a three. It's in the middle of the road here. I've done a couple of these now, so it's not up in the top tier for me, but still fairly solid and entertaining. Kathy, is your first go round with it. Is that going to bump you up or are you going to? Agree with Jason on the three. How are you feeling? Actually, I think I am going to bump it up a little just because I was intrigued and it made me want to know a little more of these mendicants. <laughs> mendicants. Mendicants. It Are made you me a mendicant wanna... or a mendicant? <laughs> <laughs> it made me intrigued. It made me want to learn more about what was going on at that time period. So, yeah, I'm going to give it a four. Another fun fact I learned doing this research is that there actually was an amateur mendicant society in Detroit, Michigan in the 1940s. Just something I found while I was looking it up. Good to know. Uh, I'm going to give it a 3.5. No further questions from anybody on the show. And we'll go ahead and close this. I think wrong, you're, you're wrong. confusing the metric system here. You've got uh, Jason. <laughs> Jason is your name, Joe. My name's not Joe. Nope. <laughs> Sticking to the rules. You will not let me do it on the show I host, so you cannot do it here. Fair enough. Fair enough. I think I'm going to go with Jason, just because we've had so many more that we've listened to. I think this one does fall more in a three. Kathy, I totally get your four, especially it's kind of exciting, your first foray into it. But yeah, I think this is a good solid three of an episode. I think maybe one of its only drawbacks is I kind of needed to listen to it twice to really get it. As I still had those questions, like, why was she across town to, to was there, re- okay, it was a fake murder. <laughs> Maybe I'm just slow. <laughs> no, know. I thought the same thing. Like, cause she went really far. She had to pass a lot of doctors on yes. the way to John Watson, which is the one doctor she didn't want to get. <laughs> she got some bad luck. Well, it's not like today. There's not like an urgent care on every corner. Back then there probably was maybe three or four doctors in that area. So in London, <laughs> well, they like, cause he said they went to the other side. So she passed some doctors. There were some doctors. She, she passed by. 
the logistics of travel of London and doctors in the late 1800s. We'll look all that up for you guys later on <laughs> for now. Yeah, now I need to know what the per capita of doctors was in London in 1940, whatever. <laughs> uh, it was 1887, and that don't ask me how I remember that. Anyways, that is it for this episode of LBC Irregulars, a Sherlock Holmes podcast radio edition. I want to thank my guests, and let's see where we can find them on the internet. Kathy. I can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at AUKathy2418, and that's Kathy with a K. Jason. You can find me at Weasel Skull on Twitter or Jason Albrick on Facebook and Instagram. I am at Yard Sale Artist, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. It is all at Yard Sale Artist. You can check out my wares at www.theyardsaleartist.com, which does include multiple different versions of Sherlock Holmes book page sketches. Come check it out. And remember, you can leave us a voicemail with your thoughts. Become part of the show. Call us at 707-532-5269. That's 707-532-LBOX. Or comment on the show at Longbox Crusade, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Or email us directly at contact at longboxcrusade.com. Your comments might be read or played on the show. Thank you for joining us. As a reminder, we could not do this show and all the other shows on the Longbox Crusade Network without the support of our Crusaders Club members over on Patreon. And you can join their ranks for as little as $1 a month at www.patreon.com slash longboxcrusade. And we'll now thank our Crusaders Club members as we ride off in our handsome cab. I've been your host, Jared Albrecht, the Yard Sale Artist, and I look forward to you joining me on the next episode. And Helica Wolf. Oh, Auburn Elvis. Blast it or stash it. Braxton Underwood. Captain Entropy. Clinton Robinson. Dave Collins. Battlewagon himself. Ezra Gallo. Gary Viola. Gene Hendricks. Gerald Green. Jason Keane. Jason Lady. Jeremy L. Jim Jamin, Jim Jamin, Jim Jamin, Jim Jamin. Who would you like to jump into? Joe Thomas. John Watson. Josh Strickland. Candace Ward. Kathy Bright, MVP. Mark Ross, a.k.a. Cluck Trent. Maxwell Traver. Miranda W. P.D. Devins. Paul Hicks. Rick from Jeff and Rick Present. Rob Morgan. Ryan Daly. Samantha Maney. Sean Urbanski. Spidey67. Spreadsheets. Steve Cronin. Tim Price. Tony Pennington. And Toronto Cop. This episode features the copyright-free music Shattered Glass by C.J. Beards.